Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson. Chris, um, I don't know if you noticed, but things are happening. Things are happening. Lots of things. Multiple things. On all fronts, things. Things, things, things are happening. Games, games within the games, games beyond the games, lots of games. Yeah, lots of Coaching with multiple coaches, giving credit to old coaches and new coaches and assistant coaches, mm-hmm. just doing a lot of coaching. And we're going to talk and talk about who's talking about what and what we'll be talking about next week and what we talked about this week, too. So seems like a good time to have a second episode this week. We will cover the transfer phenomenon and the phenomenal amount of transfers at West Virginia. UConn. West Virginia basketball, that felt pretty fun. Even though it was not the most aesthetically pleasing game, it was kind of a throwback to um, a really enjoyable, intense basketball. I don't know if it was just UConn or if it was a rock fight or what, but that was kind of fun. And you saw something good out of the basketball team, which maybe bodes well for the near future here. But first, I'm going to open my wallet. Here we go. Pull out the laminated card. It's time. Recruiting guys here, Chris. <laughs> I just yeah. want to beneath the learning tree, if that's all right with you, and have you wise me up on a whole bunch of things that are happening here. Is that all right? Yeah, because there is a lot going on right now. This is, um, I think, you know, every year with the way recruiting is, it seems like things are kind of locked in and you get back down, you get down to the sign, to signing day and you're kind of just worried about or wondering about two guys, and that's it. It's all you're really looking at. Um, now, not so much. I mean, this this seems like, and we're a handful of days out, this could be a situation where we're getting to signing day instead of, you know, kind of focused on the decision of two or three guys. West Virginia could be looking, or their class, or their success, or however you want to rank it, talk about it, could hinge on seven, eight, nine guys. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of pieces in play this last week, more so than the last couple of years, at least. Yeah, I don't know if I get more upset with you or the coaches or the kids, but it seems like when the first date comes in December and especially the second date in February, everything's in bed. Like, there's no surprise. Yeah. Again, I don't know if it's because you reported so well or if the kids are that committed to committing early and sticking with it. If the coaches do their job, I'm just kind of like waking up and I'm like, well, I knew that. I knew that too. Well, this isn't a surprise. It'd be very different this week, huh? Or next week, huh? Yeah, it really could be. I mean, heck, I think last in in February for the late signing period, I don't even remember if they signed anybody. I know they didn't have a press conference. Like it was like it was like a signing day. You know, usually there's a signing day. They announce people signing, and then Neil Brown comes up and talks with the media. I think in February, I don't like nobody. People weren't even in the in the offices. Like they just knew that nothing was happening. Like they weren't signing anybody. That was it. So, 
I mean, kudos to them. Like, you know, if you did your work all year long, you know, why do you want to do more work? You, you, you got the job done. Call it a day. Right. But even the early one has become somewhat uneventful. I understand the February one. It's just kind of like maybe a kid transfers or something like that. Or maybe you mm-hmm. can like scoop up some things. Now, maybe it'll be more lively this year because they're going to have that, that overflow, I guess, of what seven uh, players they can get. So maybe they don't get them all in December. And maybe February becomes a little bit more lively. But the December one seems like the one that's kind of uneventful now. But like you said, who knows with, with some of these players and maybe some of these schools and entire classes because – you, you always have a, a little bit of flipping that goes on, or at least a lot of effort to produce some flips. Maybe it happens here, but which leads me to this, Chris. I don't know how you how you would quantify it, but it seems to me that schools like West Virginia are frequently living in fear of their top players or just players they really like flipping their commitment to someone else. And if you have a six and six season, or if you're just not a, a blue blood school, you know, if you're if you're a school in West Virginia and you got kids from South Florida or Alabama or whatever, you might be worried just about something at the 11th hour costing you. And they're, they're sharks because there's sharks. That's what they do. It seems like West Virginia might be one of those schools that's going to be aggressively trying to flip some people here too. And, and that could change the portion of what happens next week too. Um, are the flippers flipping here? Uh, I think the guys flipping away from West Virginia is done. Uh, it's not over till it's till it's over, if you will. But um, I think you know West Virginia lost a couple commitments, at least two of them actually that they wanted to keep in Justin Williams and Zion Young. Um, those those guys are. Uh, I don't think Williams is committed anywhere yet, but likely ending up at Tennessee. Um, Zion Young, I think last I checked, was heading to Michigan State, but no commitment yet. So. That that's two rough ones, but two ones that they kind of saw coming and had again had contingency plans for. That's why Lynn J. Dixon, the fo- former four-star Clemson transfer, is here right now. That's why the coaching staff went in home with four-star recruit Ramon Brown the other day. So they're they're making moves, but as far as West Virginia flipping other kids, it's looking like they might get a couple of those. They they've already well they haven't already got it, but. One player, DeCarlo Donaldson, uh, he has already decommitted from Tulane one day before he hopped on the plane to fly up to West Virginia. You do not need a VIP membership to figure that one out. Um, I mean, I recommend a VIP membership, but uh, it, that 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 one kind of read between the lines on that one right there. So that could be a good one for West Virginia, too. By the way, if you're going to get a VIP membership, now's a pretty good time. Yeah, they, CBS is... Felt bad for those people that might have missed out on that 75% off. Not not 100% bad because it's still just 50% off, but that's a good deal. And But the big news here is that it's upgradable too. So if you're like one of those people that did the $1 for a month, you can upgrade. Get 50% off for the year. You, you know, it's not exclusively to new users. It is upgradable as well. If you got the 75% off, you cannot downgrade the 50% off. <laughs> That's right. We will not force you to do that. I didn't ask, but I'm I'm also just going to look out for you and say you can't do that. So, right. don't worry about it. um, what's this? Is this kind of like leads into what we'll talk about at the end here? But what, what's at stake? Do you think on on Wednesday? Because this class has been talked up quite a bit. It's taken, as you said, two hits that three hits, I guess that maybe were predictable. And maybe they kind of range in how much they hit or hurt, but you still have a large number of pretty reputable recruits coming in. 
And they're going to have to fill some holes because of the amount of transfers going out. But this seems like a big plan for them that they were following through on almost to perfection for a long, long time. Remember, they were really hot in June and July. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this this really could be the highest ranked class ever. Ratings change. Players change their mind. Other schools do really good work, too. And all of a sudden, not quite as hot, but it's still a pretty good class. But also you're looking at maybe people who have to play or who will play uh, guys who I think because they're on your team, maybe change your fortunes a little bit for recruiting where you can realistically commit yourself to recruiting. I don't know, certain parts of the country, certain high schools, certain positions a little bit differently. You get a type, you get a reputation, you get the attention to kids because, wow, they got that guy or wow, that guy went there. I know him. He must look really like this place. That's a broad question, Chris. And maybe there's a broad answer and, and I haven't been the most articulate, but at stake on Wednesday, what strikes you as the most obvious or the, the most worthwhile answer there? Well, I think the big thing here is these last few days are so different than the rest of the recruiting cycle for West Virginia. Um, that You look at the class as it stands now. I mean, yes, Lynn J. Dixon is, is committed as a four-star transfer that's going to come in and help right away. But most of this class, I mean, the rest of this class, except for uh, Lee Koba, are high school kids that yeah. are going to develop, that they want to develop into a second, third, three, three-year, you know, four-year contributor. These last few days and why this last week is so important, I, I know there's some people listening like, oh, I hate recruiting, I don't care, well, we'll see what happens when they get here. These next few days, you should pay attention to it because the guys that they add, the guys that they're bringing in these last this last weekend and they're trying to get committed that aren't committed yet, most of them are junior college guys and transfers, guys that they expect to help the team next year right away these are the guys that are gonna that could in some way some small way or some big way make or break next year's team so these next few days are very important i mean the 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 whole cycle is important obviously but what they've done for the previous 11 months let's say is building up the foundation of the program for the next three to five years what they're doing over the next five days could help determine if West Virginia is a four and eight team or an eight and four team next year. So it, it's this next few days are very important for West Virginia football. Okay, much better answer than I had for question there. So that's <laughs> seemingly significant there too. Uh, it starts with the the visits that are happening. I guess we could say currently right now we're talking Friday morning. People are on campus and are on their way to campus. This is a big weekend. A basketball game on Sunday. I'm not sure how helpful that'll be, but. Uh, that, that'll be for the junior day. Sorry, that's uh, a little bit separate. Yeah, everybody should be gone as far as these official visitors go. They should be gone. Some will leave Saturday to go home because there's a couple kids that came in Thursday, leave Saturday. Some will come in Friday today and leave Sunday morning. And then the staff, as they want to do, will say goodbye to the official visitors, maybe go to the bathroom, have a coffee, and then welcome in a bunch of junior day visitors and take them to the basketball game in the afternoon. I've had the Sunday game screwed up in my head all week to the point that I was trying to like just get some time to myself yesterday. I was like, wait a minute, I have to do work Saturday for Saturday because the game is on Sunday. And usually <laughs> if the game is on Saturday afternoon, you don't do as much work as you have to cover the game. But anyways, yeah, so I'm confused there. But I was wondering in my head if you have a basketball game that might help. But yeah, that's going to be more for the, the, the Sunday crowd, which is the junior day too. But get them on campus here. Um, they get to show off that facility. You're going to have some guys who are together. What type of mix do they have here? Players who 
are interested, who are serious, who are already on board, and maybe they're kind of like the Pied Piper where they they help recruit some people in because um, they're they're good ambassadors to what what they're selling over there. Well, the the two committed kids are are uh, Riley Collins and Ollie Straw. Uh, Ollie Straw is the, the punter from Australia. Uh, I know there were some concerns, and he's like, oh, okay, a, a punter that's already committed. Who who cares? Uh, one, believe it when I see it. Yeah, well, well, one specialists are people too. It's Mike's Mike's favorite position group. Two, um, there were legitimate concerns about uh, travel, given you know do, new variants of of, of COVID nineteen, whether they'd be able to come and all that stuff. And, and Australia has a lot of uh, a lot more strict travel, res- uh, a lot of more travel restrictions than the United States right now. So there were concerns about that, and we have seen at West Virginia a punter commit, come visit, and then never come back. Um, honestly, I already forgot the kid's name, but what was that, three years ago? Angus um, that, that Huh? Was it Angus Davies? There you go. That was him. And But so, so to see him come in is a good sign. That lets you know that, that he can travel, that he is that interested in the program, that he's coming in for an official visit. He actually got in the other day. Obviously, flying halfway around the world makes travel a little bit different than, you know, making a quick one and a half hour flight from Georgia or something like that. So um, he's here. Riley Collins is here. He's been a thousand times. He'll, he'll be doing some recruiting. He's from West Virginia, so he loves it. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to rank them, but I think maybe the most surprising and the newest name that ended up on the list was cornerback transfer Josh Newton out of Louisiana Monroe. Um, and this is where I say, Keep your head on a swivel because you never know what's going to happen here in these last few days. This kid went from still part of the Louisiana Monroe football team to in the transfer portal to on campus in Morgantown in less than a week. Less than a week. That's how fast some of this stuff works. Uh, he, he entered the transfer portal or announced his intent to transfer on December 2nd, and he was hopping on a plane on December 8th. He was on campus on December 9th. He was in Morgantown on December 9th, taking partaking in his official visit. So these things move quickly. It is possible that somebody else along that same ilk transfer type has come onto campus in the same way that just completely came off the radar like that. So keep your head on a swivel. Do you think Terry Bowden, Rich Rodriguez, they're all just sitting around down on Monroe talking about Morgantown and all of a sudden... <laughs> impressionable cornerback like hey, uh, that's not a bad idea yeah maybe i was wondering where the con- the uh connection was maybe that was it possibly uh he's a decent player too yeah uh, could uh do work eight pass breakups last year graded out i think on pff was like 77 um like which is quite frankly higher than a lot of the people on on west virginia's defense which was a pretty good defense this past year so good player it's size six foot 190 uh it's hard to get a read on their on the individual players because their defense was so bad, but you're looking at, you know, a guy who played a ton of football this year, ended up with 48 tackles, five tackles for a loss. So he's getting it down in the, the trenches sometimes too. Uh, two picks, eight pass breakups could be a good addition there. And do they need corners? I don't care. It's always good to have them around. And, and you look at where they were this year unexpectedly, because not only Dre Sean Miller, but uh, Nick Troy fortune, and then Jackie Matthews, and you're, you're kind of cycling through and you got guys like Matthews and, and, uh, Charles Woods, another transfer, 
who who played multiple positions, including corner, because they could. So if you get him in, he can do different things, or he can just play one position. That's good. Kind of like him too, just a redshirt sophomore too. So he's got some time on campus if he's here too. So that'll help. Uh, let's check in with some people who did commit. There were a number of four-star players in there. By my look now, there's two, which means at least one player dropped off. Um, and then the top name on the list, well, maybe not the top name, but certainly Nico Marchio is a player that a lot of people have had their eyes and minds on for a while. He runs up a huge season, Arizona Gatorade Player of the Year. Um, and then a lot of players have filled in the blanks or at least solidified their standing from people who've been committed for a long time, like Jarrell Williams, to uh, a guy like Jacoby Spells, who had a huge season, um, really hot early, and, and again, plays for a big-time program down there in Florida and did a lot of great things again. Who or what have helped themselves this football season here and that you know maybe people didn't know about but should or maybe people did know about and then should be convinced that these are quality additions provided they do sign on uh, Wednesday so you mentioned Marco I mean he was already a, a pretty highly thought of quarterback but to see him go out there win national or Gatorade state player of the year and lead his team to an undefeated regular season do all the things he did I mean he, he played two of the top 25 teams in the entire country and mm -hmm. beat both of them. And in both games, you know, he showed, you know, what's everybody's favorite grit or whatever, however you want to say. It. I mean, he, he helped those teams win. he was vital to both of those victories. So, um, you know, he, I think he helped lift up his profile. And if you go up and down the list, <laughs> I know, um, lately it's been a uh, hot topic of everybody complaining that, you know, certain players decommit and then get a higher rating. Uh, that did happen to Justin Williams. That <laughs> was that was not us, by the way. That was not 24-7 Sports that raised his rating. Um, that was somebody else. You know, 24-7 Sports composite is a combination of multiple rankings. His composite went up because other places raised his ranking right after he decommitted from West Virginia. So it wasn't us. Um that was one four-star that disappeared. The other four-star was Travis Lathan, who had a very good year, but I think just got a slight demotion on the ranking. And, I mean, if we're talking .003 um, from a four-star. He was a four-star and now is off by .003. But, anyway, going through some of the other guys that went up, I know that's who uh, people are more curious about. There are actually more West Virginia commitments whose ranking rose during the year, then went down. Uh, Christian Stokes was a two-way All-State player in Michigan. He's up there. His ranking went up. Terrell Williams had an amazing senior season as a wide receiver. His ranking went up. Landon Livingston was a, just an absolute road grader over in Indiana. His ranking went up. So you got to keep a guy on those guys. And another one is who, who hasn't quite got the bump yet in his ranking, but might. I mean, I know he's getting reevaluated. Is Mumu Ben Wahad? He had a big senior season. Team went undefeated in the regular in the regular season. He had six picks, a bunch of tackles. Um, his film is why, you know, Washington tried to flip him. Tennessee tried to flip him. Texas started snooping around. Um, it, it, when those schools start snooping around and start asking what you're doing, if you want to come visit, you had a pretty good year. So uh, it, it still looks like he's going to stick, but he had a big season. Last one before we flip it over to basketball here, too. Any surprises coming? What do you think? Do you have, they have one up their sleeve that we're not ready for? Do they get something done here that they just can't say no to? Does someone change their mind and say, actually, we told you no, but I meant yes? Um, 
good news I'm talking about. I want to hear bad news. I'm tired of that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely possible. I mean, the Josh Newton thing, again, that was six days, seven days between he's going to transfer and he's on campus. So uh, I think they, with the transfer market, especially all the guys that hit the portal in the last week, two weeks, and again, I know West Virginia lost a couple, but so did everybody. So um, they're keeping an eye on that. They're scouring it and touching base with guys. And uh, I think there could be at least one more surprise. Don't know what it is. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a surprise. But they're doing some things. And I also think one other thing is going to be a little bit of a surprise. It's going to be a little different. You're not going to re- – well, you'll realize it Wednesday. But I, I do think there's going to be more recruiting. You noted it in January than there has in years past. There are, one, you know, the extra scholarships, so they might take a flyer on a guy or two. And they have seven know, can use, right? Right. They have seven extra counters that they that they can use um, because of all the transfers as a one-time thing the NCAA put in. But um, and I know uh, you take a flyer, people might not be excited about that, but I also think there are going to be some guys who are waiting. I mean, there's some big-time recruits that West Virginia's on right now. Um, and I'm going to screw up this guy's name, but uh, LaSala Tai, uh, the offensive lineman uh, from Snow College in California, he's already told me that he's going to wait until um, February, that he wants to visit, and he's going to plan on visiting West Virginia in January. Amon Moten, another one, big-time defensive lineman from Florida who kind of was on the radar for a lot of schools. I mean, West Virginia offered him uh, in October. But all of a sudden, it was Oklahoma, Florida, Miami, Iowa State. And because of that big run, he's going to wait till February. And West Virginia is in the mix for one of those visits in January, too. So I think that's going to be a little bit of a surprise in that there's going to be more recruiting in the next six weeks than there has been in the past. Yep. Neil Brown, uh, in his Zoom for the bowl game announcement, said, I want to get in the 20s. In December, and then they took they plan on taking advantage of the seven spots. That's that one time waiver for just basically account for the roster turnover and the portal and all that, so they can get to thirty two. So you're looking at like somewhere between maybe like eight and twelve January February guys too. So keep your eyes open on the portal. Um, high school kids, coaching changes too. I mean, who, it's going to be volatile, I think, still. So you may see kids who don't choose to sign in December. Who maybe were no's or maybe's before, maybe they're yeses because they have a better situation at WVU than a coaching change and someone they don't know um, at the school they originally committed to do. So, uh, yeah, this will be lively, which is, like I said, it's kind of a, a change. I don't know how much fun it will be but or how eventful it will be, but certainly the potential is there. Speaking of, seamless segue to Chris, your favorite topic, basketball. Mm-hmm. Got to believe a little bit more now in this team after beating Connecticut. However, we're going to get the asterisk crowd. Um Three-point win at home against a team missing verifiably two of its top three players. Maybe it's two best players. Certainly it's top player. I think if you talk to the the West Virginia players and coaching staff too. But had to have a tier one, excuse me, a quad one game and win. Got both. Went up 20 spots in the net. And if you look at it now, really could be, really could be an 11 and one ranked team when it opens on the road with games at Texas which is maybe having a harder time than people think assimilating all of its new faces and talent there. And then at TCU, and you're wondering, man, how how high could this go maybe sooner than people thought? Yeah, there were some good things there. Uh, in that, I, like the way that they really kind of just buckled down on defense was a good sign. I thought the rebounding was 
it, and it, people are going to look and say, oh, it was terrible. Like at the eye, you might think that it was bad, and they were minus four. UConn is so much longer and more athletic than West Virginia that the fact that West Virginia was only minus four in rebounding was actually like a compliment to them. I think it was a good sign because they were – and one – and another part is – West Virginia was boxing out, but these referees in that game, and I, I made a comment about the referees. I did not think that they were um, lopsided or, you know, whatever. I just think they weren't calling anything, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, they were not calling anything. They were certainly not calling over the back. Absolutely not. I, there were at least a handful of plays in my mind, in my memory here where a West Virginia player is completely boxing somebody out for UConn. Like, just perfect – textbook how you teach it when the kids are younger and growing up and the UConn player just jumps over his back and grabs it with two hands tips it up with one hand and 99% of the time that's getting called over the back in this game it was not and it wasn't called either way so it's this isn't a complaint I'm just saying West Virginia was doing a better job of boxing out trying to go get the ball than I think I've seen them do this season they still end up minus four but it still was a positive sign for me. And uh, so that, that was good. Uh, a cook, a cook. Mm-hmm. He was the guy who was just plucking balls off of guys' heads and shoulders too. And yeah. I know one time that Polycap went up and I'm going to use, I'm use that term loosely. Uh, but he thought he had a rebound and he put his arms up and like, where, where's the over the back? He was doing the over the back signal and they reshowed it. And like, I don't think he really jumped, but like, even if he did like that, a cook, a cook again, six ten just reached around him and took the ball off of his, like his shoulder before Polycap could do anything. By the way, Polycap's been downgraded to six foot six. Did you hear Huggins talk about this? <laughs> no, I haven't. Yeah. He's talking about, this is one of my favorite things too, but like Huggins is like, yeah, he's our best shot block rebounder. He's worked really hard, but you know, he's only six, six. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I guess he's not the six, nine, six, 10 guy that, that we thought he was, but I was, um, I watched, I skipped through a lot of their game against, uh, they played Michigan state. Trying to think of the one I watched through, but like, and the the definitely missing Tyrese Martin and definitely missing Adama Sanogo. That Sanogo guy is probably a pro. Uh, Martin's like another six foot six, kind of like three two combo guard. They're not there. I get that, but even watching some of the players they had, you're just thinking, oh gosh. And I felt like if if Hurley had a season with that team, that would be a really good team. Minus the two players, that would still be a really good team because you're right, they were so so quick off the floor so quick to a spot i was just thinking man west virginia had to play exceptional on offense and or defense maybe both to to do this and for a long time you found out like yeah uconn was getting everything above the rim there was one part of the game where they had eight baskets and seven were dunks or layups and it it didn't stay like quite that ratio by the end i can look it up but they were just getting a ton of points and shots and looks in the paint and you're thinking it's going to be too easy but west virginia made shots like it was just two guys really but like mcneil and Sherman had him in that game because they were hitting shots, long twos, three-pointers. They didn't have any inside offense until late in the game, which was redeeming, obviously, but really did what they had to do there, too. But, man, what a – I don't I don't know what UConn will be when they get those guys back. I'm assuming pretty good, but um, that's that's a pretty impressive lineup. And still, that, that team that they did beat was not a bad team. They just had guys who couldn't make shots, too. So I think you might say, well, it's a three-point win against a team that didn't have its two best players. Yeah, but that's a team that had a lot of open looks at threes that had still a size advantage, still had a chance to win the game, 
and just couldn't. And I don't think you can totally take the rug out from underneath West Virginia um, and let them go. And then another great thing about that game, two hours and I think it was two hours and four minutes. Mm-hmm. Love it. Let them play. Stop doing the officiating with the fouls and all that stuff. It got a little bit too uh, whistly in the second half, I thought. It wasn't the same as the first half, but they got out of the way and let them play, and that was good, too. So that's important, too. Do you believe in 11-1, and one, or do you think that that UAB getting on the road is going to be maybe trickier than people think? Yeah, it'll be a little tricky, I think. it. Um, but, I mean, I, I think my prediction was 11-1 and one before the year. Now, granted, this team looks a little different than I I thought. Uh, not as quite as good as I thought it was going to be preseason, but I can't back off my prediction right now. I think 11 to one, I think the biggest concern for me is not the defense. It's not the rebounding. It's the offense. It's the scoring. Yeah. I, it, it is literally just please Taz carry us, please, please just, just do it. Uh, Sean McNeil obviously can get hot when he gets hot and uh, we, we've seen it in spurts I think maybe a little bit the first half in this UConn game uh is second half of that Clemson game but other than those two well and I guess what against Bellarmine he he had some too but it's just it, it's not there and and it's such a heavy burden on one guy like that 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 can lead to some problems that can that can lead to the occasional you know if he has an off night if he, if he shoots, I mean, heck, if he shoots six of seven, like if he misses one other shot, they lose this game. If they if he goes down to UAB and he has an off night and goes four of 15 and ends up with like 12 points, 14 points, West Virginia's lost. They, like he has to shoot basically about 50% and score 20 points or else West Virginia's going to lose every game. Not every game, but. Yeah, no, I get the point. Um they should beat Kent State at home Saturday, and I think that their confidence is going to be up enough that they they might want to widen that deficit, that scoring margin, because they've they've really kind of kicked themselves, you know, over losing the Marquette game for sure. Which now they're like, oh my gosh, how we lose that game? Even though Marquette's maybe better than people think, um, or thought at the time that they beat West Virginia, maybe that was a sign. But Kent State, they should probably be able to create some distance. The UAB one, it's not going to be a true road game. They're playing it at, a, I guess we would call it a neutral site. It'll be off campus with, like, I think it's like a 16,000-seat arena. That's bold, right? Are we are we really into an Andy Kennedy, Bob Huggins, <laughs> UAB Blazers, WVU Mountaineers game that much? We'll see, but it's still going to count as a, a road game. But they're 7-2, um, they're and two, and their losses, like, they don't have a great win so far. But they lost by three to South Carolina, which is in the 120s. Um, they did beat New Mexico. It was at a tournament in Las Vegas and then lost to like one of the surprise teams in the country. Um, San Francisco, which is like in the top 25 of the net. But that was in Las Vegas too. the same tournament. Yeah, look at the schedule now, too. So um, and they got a good win last week against over the weekend against uh, St. Louis. So they'll have. I don't know, two more games, I think, before they play West Virginia. So they could be they could be nine and two, but that's going to be like their best road situation and then they open up a two on the road in the big 12 so um and i'm forgetting youngstown state too which again might be a team that they try to run away from to create some some net impact there too but really like now you can you can kind of look at these things and say all right what did they have to do and if you look at the season they've kind of checked those boxes a little bit rebounding is better defense is better i think you're right if they're if their lone problem now is like offense and You've been carried by Sherman and McNeil, not surprisingly. And you're just like, man, we got to get Bridges and or 
Cottrell, maybe another person to score more. I I kind of like the trajectory of offense coming around similarly to the way that rebounding and defense have. I'm not sure how great the rebounding will be all seasons because I think there's some physical limitations. I think their defense will be fine. We could talk about the one three one as another trick in the bag, but I I like the potential of the offense to go further certainly than rebounding as far as an improvement. If your big problem is Bridges waiting on Bridges and Cottrell to make shots, I, I kind of like that head problem. Uh, do we need to call in Taz's mom for motivation? I love it. I I, I wish I, I've talked to her like online a couple of times about stuff. And, and I don't know, I, I wish I had maybe cultivated that relationship more because I'd be like trying to get her to string for us. <laughs> Can we get your three immediate post game thoughts? There you go. Instead of yours, Chris. No offense, but yours are so good. I wouldn't do that to you. But like maybe she could do three preview thoughts because <laughs> I just went after Jalen Bridges after the game in the most polite way possible, too. But uh-huh. her Twitter is great. Um, I don't know. It's it's something to watch, too. So because she's always on her kid about missing free throws, honest, critical analysis, but also saying, I don't recognize this Jalen Bridges. He's got to make shots or something like that. I don't have yeah. I was like, yes. And then everybody obviously respects Taz's mom, so I don't think anybody took that the wrong way. Yeah, and, but in all seriousness, the the offensive thing needs to be worked out because be, you can't ride you you just can't ride Sherman and to a lesser extent McNeil like this all season long because in this game against UConn, which maybe this is I'm sure Huggins is treating this as kind of a one off thing, hoping that maybe the next couple games will be a little easier and he can give these guys rests and. Uh, but I think it's next week, like after this game against Kent State, they have a, a five days between games. Like it's not until the following weekend, I think, for yeah. the next game. Um, but 80 minutes, you know, each each player can play 40 minutes. So between the two of them, Sherman and McNeil, 80 minutes, they played officially. Now the box score says 40 and 40, but officially McNeil sat out for 31 seconds in the first half. That's it. Mm-hmm. 70, 79 minutes and 29 seconds out of a full 80 minutes. Those two played. The Sherman never, never sat. Not one second. McNeil sat for 31 seconds for an offensive-defensive switch at the end of the first half. That is it. Whew. That's hard. I mean, that's... <laughs> that makes me out of breath, and I'm not even doing anything, so... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. How do you assess the point guard spot now? Because... They did go to one three one and didn't have a point guard on the floor. I know that that hugs kind of begged to differ with me about that, but I went back and watched it. They didn't have a point guard on the floor, which is fine for the defense. But if you get a rebound, which was also a problem, um, you're going to have to run offense without a point guard or call a timeout. And neither one is ideal for you there. But um, Curry has had better days. Yeah, he he spazzed in that UConn game. I thought Kedrian Johnson was great for a guy who had one point, but his defense, when he was out there and plugged in, I mean, really kept them from doing anything that they wanted to do. And when UConn was running sets, they were doing all sorts of like vertical, horizontal combination stuff where you're driving and all of a sudden the guy is cutting baseline. It's an easy layup. But 
when he took the head off the snake, when he really covered up Cole, they didn't do anything on offense. They they kind of devolved the ball screens, which they're still pretty good at because they're so twitchy. But I thought he was great and didn't get a lot of attention, including rebounding his own missed free throw and setting up uh, Sherman for a basket that tied the score 51-51 when it seemed like it was getting away. Um, missed free throws are one of the best things for West Virginia and also the worst, but funny how that worked out. Um, and then I don't know if they, they really trust Kobe Johnson yet to do a whole lot of stuff, but I still wonder about you no know, point guard lineups. And, and I don't know if that was a hint or if there's a possibility there, but if we're talking about offense and you're playing lineups with a point guard who doesn't really score or maybe look for it or can, and then Osaboyan or Cottrell in a combination, maybe you know the point guard and one or two others who doesn't score, that gets tricky. I just, just where do you think they're at right now, a point guard? I'm not sure there's an answer on the on the team right now. I, I think you have two guys that are very up and down, uh, very specific with their skills. Like they're not very well-rounded point guards. They can do very certain things very well, and then are quite bad at other things. So um, that limits you there. And again, I think uh, in my preview piece, I said when I was trying to uh, give my prediction of how you split the minutes. I said, hey, watch for, you know, Taz to play point guard some, and maybe you slide in Kobe Johnson or Jalen King, who we haven't seen, or Jamel King, who we haven't seen all year uh, at the two or the three, and see how that goes. But if you put Sherman at the one, you know, you got that rebound, he's got to dribble it up, being defended all 90 feet. Like, he's already playing 40 minutes. He can't do that. I, I think this is uh, yeah. this, this is an untenable situation. It to to unless you figure one of those guys gets a little more consistent with that point guard spot because it it really seemed that because because Johnson is almost a non-factor Keedy Johnson is basically a non-factor offensively uh, Curry can do things offensively but he seemed really bothered by UConn's length you know length bothers a lot of people that's why everybody wants length on defense but I mean he he couldn't do anything in that game. And I think a lot of it had to do with UConn more so than anything else. So it's a problem. It needs to be fixed because that's not going to be the only long team that West Virginia plays this year. There's a point guard out in the Mountain West Conference who has 37 assists and 11 turnovers. Are you? Do, do you just want to start stuff now, or? I don't know. I just I. Man, I don't. I don't know. I think that. That's obviously Jordan McCabe, and he's his offense has fallen off. Like he was hot early on, like he was like one of two, two of five, three of six, like two of two from three point range. But since then, um, I have him at three for eighteen mm-hmm. in the past four games from three point range. Um, team's not great either; they're four and five. So I don't know how much is he really helping him. Who knows? That's but that's a weird experience out there with what they're doing and all their roster situation. The UNLV doesn't matter here, but. That's a guy that everybody was just waiting for him to get over the hump, and it never happened. And it might not have happened too, but like, if he's not an offensively inclined player, and, and you're this this team doesn't have a point guard who can shoot and score, well, guess what? Neither can McCabe. Would he have been better suited in a situation like this this year than he was his first three years? I'm not saying is he going to help the team. Is he going to be better than Johnson, Curry, uh, Johnson too, Kobe Johnson? I don't know. We'll see. That's not what I'm insinuating here. But I think there's a situation you could look at it and say. Man, the first three years from McCabe here didn't line up. I don't think anybody's going to argue that, right? But, man, with the the shooters out here and the guys who ball screen, 
on this team, I wonder if this would have been something different for him. I'm not saying he's going to be like a 16-point-a-game guy or he's going to be an 8-assist-a-game guy, but maybe more toward his realistic Division One basketball reality. Maybe that's what would have been his situation at West Virginia this year. I think he could have helped him for sure because that, that's a guy who just knows a whole lot about it. But the trouble is the strength of the position for the team this year is its defense. Like Johnson especially, but Curry really do – like I say, to kind of drag those point guards into a ditch with them sometimes and really make the other's offense clunky. And that's not McCabe's strength, too. So maybe you get a plus on offense. You're probably not getting that on defense. I get that. So the best thing that West Virginia does right now probably is his defense, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But we're talking about how the offense struggles and the rebounding isn't great. But they do play good defense in, in long stretches, too. And if you're operating at 80% of your capacity because your point guard is McCabe, who's not a great defender then what type of a trade-off is it for your offense, which, as we said, isn't really hitting on all cylinders. Does he help your offense so much you could have a tolerance for his defensive misgivings? Maybe. I don't know. Does he help your defense? Probably not. Is his offense going to lift it up? Again, who knows? But I just think that his, again, his realistic Division One basketball potential probably would have been closer to where it might have been this season at West Virginia than it had been his first three seasons. Does that make, does that make sense? I don't, I don't want to get into the, boy, they missed McCabe, but I do think that he could have had a better situation this year than he had his first three years. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. I don't know if this team is better because again, it's, it he he is a he is a flawed point guard just like Malik Curry is a flawed point guard just like Keedy Johnson is a flawed point guard. Now all three of them do certain things well and do certain things very not so well. Uh, and so yeah, I think you're getting a trade off of a little bit better offense, a little bit better ball movement, but uh, a, a big step back on defense there. Um, and this is, to your point, more of a defensive team. West Virginia shot below 40% from the floor and below 45% from the free throw line. <laughs> that was the first time they've done that since 2016. That is the first time, and, and only the second time ever, but the first time that they have won a game while doing that since 1950. Five. When they shared a conference with Washington and Lee, and apparently everybody just shoots a thousand times because even though they shot 35% from the floor and 44% from the free throw line, West Virginia scored 80 points in that game. So I have. Oh hot. yeah, here you go, Hot Hot Rod Hundley uh, with a a a lovely nine of 32. God, what's it like to shoot 32 times in a game? That's awesome. You don't know? <laughs> I don't think I've ever shot 32 times, not even in a pickup game. That was probably a low night for him. Yeah, holy cow. His career high? I have no idea. That's, that is an amazing number. Not 32 shots. Okay. But we wondered this. What would Huggins do with his lineup? Because he had played 14. He could realistically play 15 if McNeil was back. I don't think anybody thought he would play 15, but he played 14 against Radford. He had McNeil back against UConn. Had some... Uh, he had some had something in a glass with James Oconquo. Seth Wilson had played... Uh, hard, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. And you're just thinking, all right, well, you got your five and you got a couple of guys off the bench. And we said, this is going to be more of like an eight or nine person because it's an important game. Consolidate your playing time into who and what you trust the most and live that way or die that way. Or, hey, UConn's not very deep. 
missing two players, you are throw numbers at them and see if you can wear them down, which I do think happened, especially to Cole late in that game. Um, and instead, 10 players, five on the bench, and really um, one starter and one bench player didn't really play a whole lot. Cottrell was um, – that's not a game for him, obviously, which is discouraging because that's a 6'10 starter, but six minutes, two shots, two points. Um, foul trouble early, never really got – I think he had foul trouble early. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, two fouls. Did he get it in the first half? Yeah, two two quick fouls, I think. Okay, and then uh, really only played Kobe Johnson for five minutes, and I think that was exclusively in the first half. So in reality, you know, those two guys combined for 11, so it's almost like let's combine them into one, like a nine-person rotation there too. I don't know where they go from here. That that might be about it. Um, promisingly, I would say, Kerrigan had a, a good good game. I think that people were wondering what would happen. You know, a lot of people were caught up on McNeil's lower back, and and maybe maybe people weren't too happy with him missing the game. But I don't know. A lot of reading between the lines there. I wasn't sure what to think about that. A lot of people wondered. Uh, I did see Kerrigan and Larry Harrison. A lot of people saw this kind of have a uh, a heated conversation, and Gabo Savoyan had to intervene on the bench in the first half against Radford. Kerrigan never got in the game again, and you're thinking, oh, that's not good, especially with Polycap coming up like he did. Kerrigan played 15 minutes and was good. Like, I thought he was good. He, he at least battled against the size. He only took one shot, but he grabbed five rebounds. He played really good defense around the rim, which is what he had to do because UConn um, was, again, playing and living above the rim. And then when it really mattered, they had him out there in crunch time to play a position that is really important atop the, the zone in that 1-3-1. That was a really good response, I think, for, for a curiosity that people probably had and did not want to keep having. I don't think you worry about that anymore there, too. Um, but again, I don't know. Wonder I, I wonder how much you'll see of Okonkwo or King or Wilson. You know, three, four more guys. Didn't see Sandy Enjide. They thought he'd been making moves and, and practicing well and kind of showing off. Maybe it was his time. That's a game maybe he could play because they need some length and size. Didn't happen. But I would say certainly Kent State on Sunday and then Youngstown State's the not the next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. That's kind of it. Like, I think Huggins is going to shut up the bench after that. And if you haven't proven yourselves in those two or three games coming up, you're probably not going to get a chance barring injury or just undeniable progress in practice, which is going to be hard because you practice who you play. Interesting time there, I guess. But, hey, my my question, I guess, was uh, is that what you kind of expected? Like, I think you did expect yeah. a pared down rotation. Yeah, as I say, both, both of these things, the Kerrigan thing and the rotation thing, it makes me it was like – people like have you watched bob huggins over the last several years because yeah i think when we were talking about that would you go 14 or 15 and try and wear him down or do you think and i said me personally i'd love the idea of going 14 and, and trying to wear him down but i think that huggins is going to pare it down because that's what he does he, he he tries out guys in some of these easier non-conference games and then pairs it down as we get closer to the more important games and this one was important um, obviously UConn top 15 teams. And I, th- I think, I don't want to say Huggins isn't taking some of these other games seriously, but you could almost tell just, uh, especially afterwards with how happy he was in post game, that this meant something more to him, that this, this meant some meant more than some of these other games. And then the, the Kerrigan thing. Yeah. I didn't think, I didn't think it would last after one game because again, we've seen that a thousand times with Huggins where a player gets, I mean, it happened to Culver. It happened to, um, I mean, it's happened to Lamont West, I think, once or twice. Uh, Issa Ahmad. Guys, hey, you're, you're, you're in the doghouse. You're out this game. You're not playing the rest of the game or you're not playing this game at all or you're sitting out the first half. 
and then we're moving on. And so it was, I think this is what I expected. I mean, he, he bounced back with a, a, a strong performance, but I expected him to be right back in the rotation for this game. Yep, good. I uh, want to point this out, too. Wrote about it. We'll talk about it now, too. Um, offensive rebound on a missed free throw, Gabe Osaboyan. We also mentioned that another offensive rebound on a missed free throw was Kedrian Johnson. We've talked about Kerrigan. We've talked about Polycat. All have Division One basketball experience at another school. Mm-hmm. Uh, McNeil. Sherman. Junior college transfers who should have been Division One players and have proven it since then. Um, Curry came to West Virginia from another Division One program. I think you get where I'm going here, Chris. Mm-hmm. Transfers. It's not an apples apples thing, but listen, you're going to live on transfers and and maybe to some extent you might die on the vine on transfers too if they don't hit or if you lose a lot of them too. Another another seamless segue here today. Uh, football. Doors open. People come in, people leave, more people leaving than coming in, which is probably going to be the situation, I would say, almost universally. But uh, let's close with this, the conversation about transfers. We talked about it a little bit before, but players have since left. We last spoke on the Q&A podcast Tuesday. Probably more will depart before the bowl game or after the bowl game. It's just the way it goes. But let's update our numbers here. Since January 1st, which works as a date for two reasons. One, calendar year. Also, West Virginia played a bowl game the day before, so the offseason technically starts on January 1st. But anyway, since January 1st, 28 players. 28. Um, by my count, most in the Big 12. By eight over Oklahoma. Significantly more than just about everybody else in the Big 12. Maybe more concerningly, 11 since the start of the season. Also the most in the Big 12, leading four, or leading by four, I think four other schools. So anyways, the next closest peer in the Big 12, 20 in a calendar year, seventh since the start of the season. Um, this is a very subjective conversation for, for different reasons. One, how important is it? Um, how much does it matter? And, and on and on and on, too. But I just think the number is so big that you can't really ignore it. Um, I don't know how much it matters that you lead the Big 12 or you lead the country, because if you were third or fourth or eighth and you still had 28 players leaving, you would be concerned. You wouldn't be less concerned because it didn't lead the country. I don't know why you would be more concerned by that number merely because it leads the country. The number is the number. That should be what concerns you here. Um, and then you can get into a whole thing about quality and quantity. Who is leaving and how good are they? I get it. Um, put on your thinking cap. Where does this conversation go when you talk about the number of players leaving in the year 2021? It goes back to the total roster numbers. For Again, it's the quantity, or, or excuse me, the quality and the reasons are varying for everybody. I mean, I, you you touched on it in that story. You know, we're talking everywhere from like a, a fourth string uh, defensive back that's not going to see the field to starters, um, a starting wide receiver. And we're talking about guys who are leaving and saying, I love the coaches. I love this situation. I love the school. I've just done my time here. I want to see what else there is. All the way to... One certain transfer, I was told, has basically trash talked to the entire staff and school to every high school kid in his area, um, you know, <laughs> and everything in between. So it, it, you can't really gauge that. But it is, as you put it, I think that that was a great story because it is the, the, the big number is the story. That's the story. Um, 
because again, we can go on each individual kid for different things and change everything. Uh, you know, it, every everyone's going to be different, but that number is th- this was a team that when Neil Brown took it over, I, I went back and we did the numbers. We've gone over this a thousand times that the roster was in the fifties for scholarship players when he got here. That was devastating. That is a terrible place to start. It is the same terrible place that Dana Holgerson started his time here. Dana Holgerson got the shaft when he started too. Uh, came in with, I think it was like 51 scholarship players and had to build from there. Uh, and Neil Brown, I think I'm, I'm throwing numbers. I'm trying to remember them. I think it was 57. I know both were in the fifties and I think Neil Brown showed up and it was 57 and they got extremely creative over the last three years, blue shirts and gray shirts and, and pulling uh, spots, you know, counters from the class ahead and class behind trying to build this roster up to 85. Uh and they were getting close. I think we had the numbers in the high 70s, which, again, you know, you're never going to get to like 80, actual 85. And you kind of the ideal spot is about 80 so that you have a handful of spots over just in case you have that miracle, no doubt, no miss transfer that's out there. And you've got to find a way to get them in. And also so you have motivation for your walk on class to have those walk ons work towards a scholarship and you can give them one. They were close to that. And now they've lost an entire recruiting class. In scholarship players, I think you know you said twenty eight, and I think when we went, you and I went through them, it was like twenty five were scholarship or something yeah, like that. You're gonna have one off guys like Javon Thrift, Colin Paris, um, who was the other one that was a walk on. Bryce Brand might have been a walk on. Right. was a walk on. So yeah, a handful of guys who weren't, but by far the majority are scholarship players. Right, but then that's an entire recruiting class, an entire recruiting class gone. Um, again, varying degrees, varying reasons. But your numbers are back down to where they were. You're back down to, and and when he got here and when he was talking about this team, he was talking about how bad the numbers were, how few options they had, how little depth they had. And now we're entering year four, going to be entering year four, and might be, depending on what happens the next couple of weeks, in a worse spot than they were before, like as far as numbers go. I, I mean... I don't know. It's tough. That's a big number and a big, and that's what makes it a problem. Yes. And listen, they can get back up to 85, like we're darn close again. And that's where that seven player cushion helps, but they got to nail it. Otherwise you're in the cycle again. Like I'm not saying you got to go 32 for 32. That's unrealistic expectation, but I'm trying to do the math in my head here because you've explained it. And now I'm a little bit confused, but if they get 32 players, you lose eh, 24 scholarship players in a year, whatever. You're going to have players who are seniors and leave on, but like you can get close to 85 again and be in a good spot, right? Right. That's hard to do because you can't you, listen. You might have it for the season of 2022, but how many players are leaving? Just naturally, you're going to have players leaving. You're in the cycle again. And, and this is maybe unfair because maybe they can pull this off, but a staff that has either misevaluated or been unable to retain players either who were here or who arrived after they came here um, has been able to retain or develop or retain and develop. And you're saying, all right, they're going to have to identify, recruit, retain, develop players, and they haven't been able to do that. It's just a hard thing to invest in because that that belief is, is hard to invest in because that hasn't happened yet. And maybe it happens. And again, that leads me to this too. It's a problem. It's bad. But to me, I think why it's bad is a bigger deal. Like, I don't think we have to have like a treatise about this is bad. And then, then like, we need to ask questions to get quotes from Neil Brown. Like, why <laughs> it's bad? Like, we understand this, but why is it bad? 
Like, what's going on? What's led to this condition? I think that's something that could be answered. I would not expect an answer. I mean, we can't can't get answers to simple questions like who's calling plays or like what year is this guy? Is he a walk-on or a scholarship player? That's just the way things go. But I would think that in like a year or two years' time, we might have a situation that could answer the question right now as to how bad it is. If this keeps happening, then I think a lot of the stuff you could say about, well, it's, it's players that didn't recruit or it's guys that they added because they had to get to 85. Those are plausible explanations right now. You can look at that list of players and be like, well, they really rushed that guy into campus. Or, you know what? They needed a, they needed this guy at a spot and it just didn't work out. I get it. That's fine. It's not all of them, but it's a lot of them. It's a number of them, at least. There, there's different things you could say for sure. And you might not know for a year or two. But if it keeps happening and players who were recruited and, and were on this team and played – and just didn't stick or didn't develop and just didn't turn out the way that either the player or the coaches wanted to, then you've got a situation that really needs to be tended to. So the problem for the present is that we live in a world where everybody wants to be outraged and you want universal um, explanations for what are not universal problems. There are layers and there's nuance and there's subjectivity here involved. And I don't think people can grasp that or want to grasp that. We'd like to debate and argue and get mad because that's what we want to do where at the core, there is some of that, though. I think there is a thing you could say, like, man, something is amiss. What is it? But by and large, this is like a college football problem right now that West Virginia just happens to be leading <laughs> the race in, which is an unfortunate um, qualifier here that they probably didn't want to have. But, hey, you you lead, <laughs> and there's an explanation there that's out there that is not yet provided. And I don't know how you get out of it. That's the problem. Like, it's going to be, like, as you laid out, it's going to be hard to get out of this, but... It might also just be a thing, too, where like West Virginia is a program that's going to have to, you know, roll the dice a little bit on some players, hope that they hit more than they miss, hope that their transfers don't transfer, hope that the people that they think are developmental players, like projects, I guess, hope that more of them hit than transfer. Because all of a sudden, if you if you've got like a handful of players who are like, all right, it's a fringe player, it's a tweener, it's a blue or a, a teal chip. And if, if most of them turn out, your roster's in a good situation. But if you... If you're playing baseball and you're batting 300, you're losing 70% of those battles, right? Um, that's not good because those players are going to leave or they're not going to be valuable parts. And you're going to be saying at some point, well, that person wasn't contributing, so that's not a bad loss. But then you're starting that cycle all over again. And it's just it's hard to make progress if you're not making progress, is my point. On the fly, as you were talking there, I just tried to do the, the quick scholarship count. I got 50 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's with seniors leaving, but not all of them. Like I think you know, I still have Sean Ryan on here and Jackie Matthews, but because both of those were juniors, but they walked on senior day. So you take those two out and you're at 48. And I don't think I think I got I think I mean you're at 48 right now as far as recruited scholarship players. I'm not talking guys who walked on and then later got a scholarship. Like I'm not including uh, Grayson Malshevich for instance, but I'm sorry, Mike. Um, but so we're either 48 to 50 and could be lower again. Transfer season's not over. There may be guys who play in a bowl game and then decide they want to leave. Maybe guys who decide they want to leave this week. Um, so you take 50 and they got 32 counters in this class. Now they can't do exactly 32 unless they start pulling from the pre the class ahead because I don't want to get too complicated here, but They've already pulled from this class for some of the transfers they brought in last time, last offseason. So I think the number is closer to like 30 that they can bring in. Um, but still, so that'll get you up to 80. Yeah. If if you don't lose a single other person 
and you bring in all of these people. Um, spring practice is going to be a little light. Spring spring is going to be a little light. Um, but uh, the good news is, out of these kids that are committed, these 16 high school kids, and 17 if you count the transfer with Dixon right now, I believe nine of them are enrolling early. I think that's the number I got. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean that that's that's really solid. That that's really making an effort to try to get these guys in and, and find guys who can get that extra spring semester and maybe contribute early. And you're going to need it because you're going to need some of these guys to contribute early. Are you concerned about the quantity or the quality here? Because the number is whatever. I get that, but like I'm starting to see like significant, more significant players leave too. And I I have no issue with Parker Moore leaving. That guy is. No playing tight end because he's not going to play right tackle. And to be frank, he's not going to crack the guard rotation, even though I think that they pegged him as a guard before. I think I've said this before, but like one of the players that quietly they felt like was unfortunately set back by no spring football in 2020 was him. They really thought he had a chance to to make a move. The time was right. And when he played last year, 2020, he was good. Like he was, but he wasn't better than Wyoming Island this year. And he right. was I mean, he tried, but he didn't. But, like, that's a guy that you'd love to have around because he can do things. Seemed like a good team player. Um, is TJ Banks going to have a huge role next year? Probably not. Um, but where are you without TJ Banks this year? Because Michael Lockman was out with an injury, and you had Charles Finley and Traylon Davis and Victor Wickstrom. Like, you need Parker Moores and TJ Banks. They're not going to start games for you, but, like, those are program pieces you need. And they are very qualified gap fillers, for lack of a better phrase. You take them out. Well, now who's your your swing guard tackle? Is it is it John Hughes? Is it Tomas Remach? You know what I mean? And like, if you don't have Banks, are you really just forcing out Finley, Davis, Wickstrom? Are you playing Nick Malone and Parker Moore at tight end? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? So like, I understand like everybody's smart enough to say that's not an all conference player, that's not a, an every game player, not a starter. I get it, but like West Virginia is not going to have eighty five starters and eighty five all conference players. No one does. You need guys who fill gaps and like they're kind of falling off a little bit same with isaiah esdale i think people could argue he's maybe their best receiver very humble stats right and humble contributions but it's a guy I like to throw fades to in the end zone before it's a guy who's got great hands they ask him to be their punt returner which he wasn't spectacular but he wasn't a disaster returning the punt you need guys like that and they're losing them and again like i don't think that they're in danger because they're losing these fringe players i'm just saying that that's indicative of how hard it is to you build a roster the way you want to. You need those positions. West Virginia's starting lineup, by the way, lots of transfers, is okay. It's okay. It needs upgrades of spots, but that's what recruiting and development is for. Um, and you can do that absent the transfer phenomenon here. They, they have players in position they've recruited or gotten as transfers who are going to be okay. But that second line, third line is is concerning. You know, your developmental practices are important. And if you're not having a lot of bodies in there, or if you don't have a a way to, to fill a, an injury or a spot in the depth chart. And this team was wheezing toward the finish line on defense and in some situations on offense too. This doesn't help. So I don't think there's a problem with saying this is bad. The bigger thing is like, how do you get out of this right now too? So it, it takes some, it takes some explanation. You could say this happens everywhere and like these guys aren't good. Both are true, but it's happening a lot here and where it's happening and how it's happening. That's not good for the overall health of the program. I hope that's what people understand, too. We're not just pointing at it and look, saying, look at this. This is bad. It's not all bad. Like, some of these transactions make sense. Like, Avaria Sparrow was not going to play a lot here. He might not have played here ever again. They've recruited the running back position very well. You can handle that. But 
Other spots, it's not quite the same. This takes me back to my discussion about West Virginia's transition from the Big East to the Big 12. Was, hey, West Virginia could, when they only played one or two big games a year, compete against anybody in the country. They could beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, they could beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And a big reason for that, in my mind, was West Virginia starters, when you take into account transfers and you take into development, when you take into, you know, kind of the weeding out process of figuring out who the best players are on your team, they, their starters are competitive with most everyone in the country. Um, you know, we, I'm not talking specifically about this past season, but it's pretty close. Like the, the margin for, you know, the margin is pretty small. Mm-hmm. But the problem was when they transitioned from the Big East to the Big 12, you are playing those big games week after week after week after week. And you need to have those backups. You need to have those second stringers. You need to have those third stringers. You need to have those guys that can fill in for injuries. You need to have those guys that can come in and spell the starters for 15, 20 plays without just completely blowing up. And West Virginia didn't have that. They did not have that depth at second and third string. And I felt like that was changing with the way West Virginia was recruiting these past three years because they were bringing in so much talent that it was going to stock that second string. It was going to make that second string better. Second string gets better. The first string gets better. And then you lose these guys, the guys you're talking about, the Parker Moores, uh, the TJ Bankses, the Sam Browns, um, Isaiah Esdale. I mean, again, again, Isaiah Esdale was starting. Banks was practically or was starting towards the end of the year. But you can't lose those kind of guys, guys that are in your rotation and still expect to compete week to week because then you're just going to run into issues that West Virginia has already faced this year. I mean – we spent the last month of the season talking about how West Virginia was going to have to run a four-two-five and switch guys from safety to linebacker and corner to safety, and just to get through the games, just to just to make it, just to put eleven people on the field, and then you're still losing guys after that. That's the problem there. Agreed. And you can fill these gaps, but you got to hit. And it's it's that's hard to say that it's going to happen just because you say it happened. So um, I don't know. I hope people understand that there's there's a way to like just put this on social media and be like, this is not good. And then that's the end of the conversation. Right. You get 280 characters. I have way more than 280 characters. I can spend a lot of time on this. And like it takes it takes some nuance. I get that. But like it's not an unusual problem. It's a concerning problem. And then like there are issues but like again you can worry about the problem worry about the solution try to figure out how you prevent this or, or fix this and that's probably the question that has to be asked and answered and i suppose it'll happen soon maybe as soon as wednesday because we should have some sort of a media opportunity because of the big signing day occasion i don't know when we'll have a bowl media day but probably sometime soon but uh, yeah don't forget a bowl too so um, again chris things are happening it's eventful is it the most wonderful time of the year? <laughs> Not for me. Or maybe it will be like on the 17th or 18th after you get a break every once in a while. Because, uh, yeah, a couple, couple of wild weeks here. And, and again, may, maybe we get through Wednesday and West Virginia signs, you know, 19 great high school kids, adds including or 18 high school kids, three junior college players that look like they can compete right away and three transfers and all of a sudden we're like well there you go now now the numbers are looking like they're going to be 75 
and you've already added a couple of people and they're still recruiting guys for the February. So we could be six days away from not even thinking it's a big deal anymore. Who knows? Think that Mike, they got you. <laughs> hey, that's fine. You solved the problem. Good for you. But that's, that's what the, the, that's what the second no. comment is for in the paycheck. You know what I mean? That's no, well, the, that's, I mean, I was gonna say this, this is what you, you can't, you can't, bring in the transfers and then say, see, there's no problem or transfers in a great signing class and be like, see, there's no problem because then you might lose 28 more kids next year. You have to figure out why all these kids are leaving. Yeah. And again, that's, there's not one answer to that either. Like there's, it's, it takes some work and that's why it's not fair just to say this is bad. There's reasons why sometimes they're individuals, sometimes they're institutional. It's never, it's never just one thing. Speaking of, there's never just one thing on our website here. Chris, take us home. What's coming up? Uh, today, this weekend, up until Wednesday, what do you got up your sleeve? I uh, got the the buzz up this morning with some news on uh, recruiting visitors. Uh, got the um, I'm gonna I got the visitor thread going. About to post an update in there as we speak uh, because um, got some news already. I actually uh, I'm gonna not gonna share it on here, but um, some news already on one of the visitors. Uh, hopefully, have an update later this afternoon with him. Um, this weekend, come, making a comeback, the position group power rankings, yeah. by the way. I, we, I, I did a midseason, uh, and they were drastically different than before the season. And I feel like there's going to be some changes in postseason. Let me, let me, right before we sign off here, let me put you on the spot. I had offensive line was definitively 10 of 10 for me of the 10 position groups. Dead last. It wasn't even close. I didn't even have a discussion about it at the halfway point of the season. I, it's not that definitive anymore, right? Like, how far up are, do you think you're moving them? Or do you think I'm moving them? Or well, should you, have I move to, them? you have to put linebacker last now, right? You think so? Because and, and, it, it's in, for the whole season, like performance from the season, and yes, part of the formula, this un, un, unofficial formula, is the status of the room yeah. um, and, and moving forward. So we, we do have to take into account numbers and who's leaving and all that stuff. So I mean, they're... They're below defensive line, and then like, I wouldn't really know who would be. I mean, that they're not number two, but like, who is what group is definitively better than the offensive line right now? You could have a conversation. I'm not saying that they're number two, but I'm saying that like, it's not corner, it's not safety, it's not linebacker. I wouldn't think. And maybe running back's been promising lately. That could be number two. Receivers kind of taking on water. It's it's certainly moved up quite a bit, way closer to the top and the bottom. I would think, right? Yeah. That's a good point. Yep, they, could, yep, yep. they could all be back next year, too. They should all be back next year, too. And again, Doug Nestor's a junior, but last year didn't count. They could all be together in 2023 as well. Yeah. Crazy. Actually, wait a minute. What's uh, yeah, Gamera would be, too, right? Uh huh. He was a redshirt freshman in 19, 20 doesn't count. Yeah, he's a sophomore this year. Yeah, they could all be together in 2022. That's crazy to think about that. And just got to get there, right? Like, take your time making, making sure you keep everybody and you develop where you're supposed to. But uh, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, as for me, yeah, basketball, football. Um, how about some bonus bonanza for football and basketball? I explained this one to you. The differences, I guess, in one or two more wins for the football team this year when it comes to the bank account. Mm-hmm. But, like, all these coaching incentives on how different they are for football and basketball. What do you think is harder to do? Win a championship, national championship in football or basketball? Hmm. Oh, you're asking me. Yeah, what do you think? Was like a, oh, uh, probably football for West Virginia. Probably football. 
Okay. Well, the I know reward- that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but I think it, it, in basketball, at least they definitively have a seat at the table, and then they just have to get hot for two weeks. It's got to win football, six in a row. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's all. That's Whereas, all. Six, six in a row against some of the best teams in the country while traveling all over the place. That's all. Which then leads you to this. Do you just have to win two in a row in football, or do you have to win, like, 15? 14 in a row, right? 15, whatever, yeah. That's that's so yeah. There's a little bit of a difference there. I thought that was interesting, but I don't know some small contract stuff. And then take a look at the bowl matchups. What some coaches are saying. What Minnesota does very well. Was, um, and then got to talk to Seth Wilson. By the way, finally, um, mm-hmm. freshman finally talked to. That's a big dude, right? Yep. Thick. He is uh, svelte now compared to what he was before. Believe it or not. All right. I didn't know this. I asked asked the question. He he well actually me because I was under the impression he was a small. Like a like a 180, 185 pounder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people on the board even said that before. Like, wow, good to see that because he looked like he was light before. He's he's like two fifteen now for sure. Evidently, he was much bigger and he worked on his body since he got here too. So yeah. we'll see how much he plays again. Those last two non conference games, Sunday and then the not the Wednesday after, but the Wednesday after the Wednesday after. Maybe the last audition for some of those guys for Huggins. Like I said, shutters the bench and trusts who he trusts. So fleeting opportunities, but they still are there. Um, We'll be back before you know it. Q&A next week. Uh, I kind of like doing a uh, non-football preview top of the mind podcast on Friday. What do you think? That sounds good to me. Well, maybe things will keep happening until then. I'm Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. See you next time.